morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world right now. This is Amrish Wang of The Raw Entrepreneur. I am doing this special little personal project, which is still in his works with my good friend, Shana Allen, um, who is in the US. And she has very kindly, um, you know, agreed to handhold me while I read through the forever dog with her. Um, and we sort of do a book review chapter by chapter uh, per episode. And we are doing chapter three today, which is the science of aging. And it's quite a big chapter um, compared to the first two, I have to say. Um, so Shana, what you're thinking? I'm thinking this is a really good chapter. A lot of good points are talked about. A lot of things you can take away and learn from this that you may not have realized are going on inside the body. Um, the whole chapter is about the science of aging and how fast our dogs age and what we can do to hopefully kind of slow that down and throttle that back a little bit and help them live longer. Yeah. So there's a lot of like scientific terms that you're going to read in this chapter that might freak you out initially. But if you just go with the flow and, you know, maybe the first time gets a bit bumpy. But if you read it again and again, it, it sort of after a while, it sinks in. So basically, they're trying to tell you, you know, life, as we know, is a ongoing cycle. So basically, they're trying to explain the, the yourself. So they'll die and then they will build. You know, there's a cycle of regeneration, destruction, regeneration, destruction, regeneration. And what they're trying to tell you as well, well, my personal takeaway is that, you know, aging is kind of normal. Don't be scared. We all age, you know, and there, and there are signs to aging, both physically, uh, mentally and whatnot. But the thing is, um, there are ways to improve on it. So you don't have to fear aging uh, time-wise chronologically. It doesn't mean that, you know, as you get older, you're going to get more unfit. Um, actually, I found that for myself personally, I'm 48 this year. And basically, I am getting healthier compared to when I was in my 20s and 30s, honestly, because I was super, super unhealthy then. So I'm, I feel that, you know, because I'm, I've been making lifestyle changes, um, it has improved my health, but I have to thank my animals for that because if it wasn't for the fact, for my love of my cats and dogs um, and making a lot of mistakes, I wouldn't have uh, come on to Dr. Karen Becker and Rodney Habib, you know, who wrote this amazing book to share, you know, the little biohacks and, and uh, scientific, um, the current scientific studies going on right now. So, with this aging thing, um, I don't know. How old was your dog, Shana, when your dog passed? My Bernice was eight when he passed away. He just turned eight that November, and he died about a, about three or four weeks later. Wow. But your Bernice is like a Bernice mountain dog, right? Yeah, they're big. You're lucky yeah, if you can get the average, I think, is around like eight to ten. If you can get past that for them then you're doing really, really good. I know there's people out there that are trying to get them to um, be uh, a lot more healthier genetically than what they have been in years past. And, mm. and that's true for a lot of big dogs because we know the smaller dogs 
live longer and the bigger dogs don't. And it, uh, that book, the book in chapter three touches on that and why that, why that's the case. The smaller dogs live longer, the bigger dogs don't and how that affects their whole, um, metabolic rate and everything that goes on internally. But yeah, yeah, trying to get these bigger dogs to live longer would definitely make pet parents a lot happier to have them around for a little while. But yeah, definitely. So, you know, um, this chapter actually goes into quite a bit of, um, scientific terms that you get to read, you know, like DNA, telomeres, um, zombies and cellular senescence. Yeah. Zombie cells, you know, <laughs> things that, um, sounds a bit sci-fi, you know, um, walking the dead kind of thing, but, um, it's, it's actually, if, if you start reading it and what's, what I always found very interesting again, is that all these studies, um, will actually to improve human lifespan. Most of the studies done. So they, they actually did a lot of studies on dogs because it, because they age a lot faster than us. Um, yeah. And so the, so scientists thought that, okay, we study, you know, longevity on the dogs. We'll get a pretty good picture on how we will age because they age a lot faster than us. So the thing is, whatever you're reading in this chapter, you can actually really honestly apply it to yourself. It's exactly the same thing. Um, I will say um, they do mention David Sinclair and his research on sirtuins and how the zombie cells are and how those how our cells need to die off and regenerate. And if they don't, what happens? His book, Lifespan, is called... Uh, um, it's called Lifespan, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To. I actually read that after Dr. Becker had yeah, spoke about too. it, um, I think a couple years back. And I was like, well, that's yeah. interesting. So there's other books that kind of spin off from what you want to learn about that you can read on. And I learned a lot reading that one. That was really, really fascinating to, to learn how the body is supposed to be and function and how you Ooh. can help it live um, a lot healthier into older age. Yeah, I think one one of the things that I I sort of it hit me was um, maybe not so I can't remember if it was really in this chapter that was mentioned, but because um, I just watched the inside scoop as well, just just like you know this weekend, right? And we were talking about um, how intermittent fasting or time restricted eating right and why why that's important and one of the things is our bodies when you're digesting you're not giving your body a chance to renew its immune system to regenerate the immune to heal recover <laughs> your immune system so this aging thing sort of um for me goes tight really ties into that because we, you know, we, we are, you know, I think everyone would like to live as long as possible to be as fit and healthy as possible to the very end of your life and more so with our dogs. So they, it talks a lot about, you know, how healthy cells get the cell damage and then the zombie cells come in, you know, and Dr. David Sinclair, his book Lifespan, I mean, like, um, I actually do highly recommend if you're really interested to to read that and you know um because yeah it's fascinating stuff 
really it is because um, if you see a current picture of what he looks like now, he honestly doesn't look his age. He looks a lot younger, you know. Yeah. So there is a way to reverse aging. Yeah. And to touch on your topic of fasting, it's it's mentioned a little bit more in chapter four, but it was talked about this past weekend because there was a couple of viral posts that sparked some energy over the last mm. week. But yeah. what the, um, I think that the casual pet parent may not understand is what happens and what the benefit is. Now, there's many instances where the your dog will tell you when he's hungry. You know, our bodies do the same thing. They tell us when they're hungry and that develops um, on your ghrelin and your leptin levels. But what a lot of people may not realize is AMPK and that's an anti-aging enzyme and what the benefit of autophagy is. It says when you fast, for example, mTOR is suppressed and AMPK cleans house. So mTOR is a whole enzyme that does its job in the body, um, helping to calm down, you know, cell replication. And AMPK is what goes through. It's kind of like having like the cleaning crew going through mm. your body, you know, yep. and when you're feeding your dog um, or free feeding when, you know, dogs and cats have access to food all the time and you're constantly getting that glucose spike and the insulin spike when their bodies are constantly eating, the cleaning crew can't come by and pick up all the trash. It even says that in the book, you know, it's just like your body starts to pile up with like all these little trash deposits. It'd be like, the tr the garbage man never coming down in your street to pick up the trash as they do once yeah. a week in the neighborhoods. Like if you just keep throwing stuff out there, your wasted food into the street and the garbage man never comes by because you're just having a constant party, then how how is everything going to get cleaned up? So the body needs that break of fasting. It doesn't have to be for, you know, a terribly long time. It can just be from, you know, seven o'clock at night until nine o'clock in the morning. That's actually pretty simple to do without even thinking mm. about it. And we can do that for our dogs as well. Um, healthy dogs, not for puppies, not for sick dogs. Sick dogs are on medication, you know, have their requirements too. But for the, for the average healthy dog, um, you want those health benefits and learning what AMPK does and what autophagy is and what mTOR is and how to get rid of those zombie cells that you don't want camping out in the body. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, this... This thing, I actually do highly recommend like for, you know, like pet parents who want to learn and understand more about the aging process. Um, it might sound a bit off-putting initially, but um, Rodney does, has done some really good um, podcast video lives that you can actually look at at Planet Pause and stuff. You know, just, just Google them or, you know, become a member of the Insights Group because they have tons of in-depth, like, like, good stuff in there if you really want to dive deep um but basically like this chapter is really you know educating you on what is aging and the different stages of aging how it happens with the cells in the body and and you know basically yeah you know things shut down after a while you have a good run and then the machine you know starts to break down eventually um, so, you know, the signs of aging are usually, you know, the diseases that we, we get, um, you know, from, I don't know, cancer, kidney disease, you know, all these autoimmune disease, um, um, dementia, you know, doggy dementia is actually pretty similar to human dementia or Alzheimer's. So they talk about, you know, how all these things come about and, 
yeah it's, it's like i'm so tempted to read a lot of the chapter but i'm like you know it's like i actually want the, the listeners to actually also read it to 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 get a feel for it um yeah. it, it takes a bit and you might have to read a couple of uh, pages or paragraphs again to let that kind of sink in or let it meld and then go back and read it again yeah just to understand it if if you haven't done a dive or the rabbit hole into some of these you know uh, yeah deeper more detailed topics yeah and they actually cite a lot of the the, the studies um in this chapter as well and they and they bring up you know um people who who have studied all this you know from little dogs to big dogs you know why why certain things happen and yeah i don't know um uh, what else do you think Hormonal changes is also one of the things that, um, no, you mentioned size, you know, big dogs, small dogs, and age and weight, you know, in terms of aging. Um, the other thing is huh, something that is near and dear to my heart as a rescuer, sterilization, uh, neutering and spaying. So, you know, there's this huge debate uh, with with certain um, certain circles on when, and if you should um, sterilize your dog. And this is something, to be honest, in Singapore, um, not this, no one really talks about because we accept that, okay, we should, stray dogs have to be sterilized. So like my, my, my mongrel, she was sterilized, but she, when she came to me at seven months for her home trial, she was already on heat, her first heat cycle. So, <clears throat> I didn't, I didn't sterilize her to uh, much a little bit later, you know, um, I think towards the almost her first year, then I, I sterilized her because the vet said like, oh, you have to wait, you know, for a few months after that um, kind of thing. So um, yeah, as, as, a, as a rescuer and some of the adoptions over here in Singapore, I'm not so sure about in the US, but um, if you adopt, like, say, a stray dog, they actually want you to make sure that your dog's sterilized yeah. um, to prevent, uh, you know, um, accidental pregnancies. Because we do have a problem here of overpopulation um, because there's a high rate of abandonment. And, um, like, the, the breed, the, the so-called um, dogs that are bred, you know, the purebred dogs uh, that people buy from breeders here, either i don't know, professionally or not professionally sometimes i think um the uh, the ethics of breeding here is is quite low so the quality of the dogs that come out uh, might not be so healthy genetically as well you know um but yeah spaying and neutering um is something that is hotly debated and how you should you know, spay and neuter. So in this book, Dr. Becker actually talks about how you can do it without removing their hormonal, um, whatchamacallit, the hormonal, yeah, the hormonal parts of, you know, when, when, you, when, you, when you sterilize them, you leave the hormones intact so that they can still uh, grow naturally, you know, um, because one thing I have noticed here is 
um, a lot of the rescue dogs, stray dogs, they are neutered really, really young, usually about maybe four months, some, some of them. And they grow up with a really strange body. Um, they have really long, skinny legs that look like Italian greyhounds, you know, very tall and skinny. And um, yeah, and uh, there's um, a lot of fat parents around here say, oh, um, I think my dog has Italian greyhound genes in, in them because of the shape. And I, I'm, I'm like, saying, well, actually it could be because you sterilize your dog really young. So that means that the growth hormones kept growing like the bones and they couldn't put a cap on, on I don't know if I'm saying it right, but, you know, a cap <clears throat> on the growth platelets to close so that, you know, they close normally, you know, like naturally as, a, as an adult dog when it's their time. Um, but because we, we sterilized them too young, the hormones will remove. So they just kept growing and growing, growing, growing. But um, that actually will lead to uh, certain health conditions with the bones later on, like hip dysplasia and, and stuff like that. Um, so this is this is something that in Singapore is still not very uh, like common knowledge here. You know, they still think like, oh, it's you're a good parent if you sterilize young. Um, you know, and I've actually asked my vet before um, when I read about Dr. Becker's recommendation on how to, the alternative way of sterilizing, and they said, oh, never heard of it. Mm. Not common. Uh, yeah, Not common. it's, it's never the same over that. here. Yeah, same over here with the rescues. If you adopt, they want them um, spayed and neutered as soon as you get them, if they're not already. And I remember my first golden retriever I adopted and I'm pretty sure we had him done right after we got him, if not before we could take him home. My Bernese was a purebred. I got him from a local ethical breeder. So I wanted to start him. I wanted that that eight week, nine week old puppy. I wanted to do it. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's a lot of work. <laughs> but um, I remember taking him to the vet and the vet kind of guilted me into doing it right around six, seven months. I remember he kind of made a, it was a humorous, uh, way of saying it to him but he made me feel guilty about waiting so long and then learning after the fact why I should have waited a little longer until he was closer to two years old how much it would have benefited benefited him because he ended up with a torn ACL and it wasn't until he had a torn ACL that I remember talking to the lady I got uh, my Bernice from she's like hey there's kind of been some talk about some studies going um recently that they have found out if they get spayed too soon or neutered too soon they can have acl injuries i was like that explains it because the growth plates didn't form naturally like they should have yeah. so their joints can be a lot weaker and when you have a big dog even or an athletic dog or you know any dog for that matter or cat you want their joints and tendons and growth plates to be as strong as possible so that's a lot of things that people don't realize because the, the vets may not know we don't want an overpopulation of dogs and cats for sure, we, but we want to do it the right way. Yeah. So this, this chapter might be a bit difficult, um, you know, in terms of the mindset for sterilization, especially I think in, in my part of the world um, with a lot of rescuers, they, they, they might, you know, like get very upset, you know, about these things or sensitive about it. But what, um, you know, Dr. Becker has actually, um, if you, Google like there is alternative ways of sterilizing 
without removing their hormone their hormones leaving it intact so that they can age and grow naturally and you know healthily so that they don't have to um get you know um sick and unhealthy a lot faster than than actually you know uh, expected you know um so that that that's something that really got me thinking like Ooh, if if I have another dog, you know, like, you know, they say like, oh, like if I could have a puppy again, you know, how would I do it? Not that I'm doing it right now because I go to full house, but, you know, I like to daydream about it, you know, but yeah. So, yeah, so these things and I would say There are lots and lots of studies mentioned in this book, like the dog aging project as well was mentioned in this chapter, um, where it's it's if you are based in the U.S. and you would like to, you can actually sign up your dog um, as part of their studies. You know, um, you got to fill in some forms and stuff. But I think it's pretty cool. I wish when I first heard it, I thought, oh, I can I can do it for my dog, but I live in Singapore, so I don't count. You know, um, but. It's it's um, there are a lot more studies going on now, and so if you're interested in taking part in these things, you know, um, do check them out. The ones that I mentioned here, you know, um, because you also could be contributing to the future of dog science. Honestly, very true, very true, and very beneficial. Mm. Yeah, <clears throat> and then <clears throat> you know, with I think. This is another another part of the chapter that really got to me. Again, it's, it's, it, it gets a bit heavy because they are trying to introduce concepts, but, um, you know, they talk about food chemicals when you're cooking your food, you know, um, and what it can do to your body, uh, your dog's body, and... You know, I, I, I started to read things like, you know, A-G-E, you know, um, and I was like, what the hell is that? You know, and uh, what was it? IGF-1, um, you know, yeah, so and, they're, they're... And MRPs and ALEs and <laughs> yeah. all the acronyms. There's so many yeah. to remember. Yes, and but there's this one term, the Meliad or Meliad uh, reaction. Um, depends how you pronounce it, but the Mellat reaction, you know, and and basically the MRPs is the Mellat reaction product. So it's basically when you cook something, correct me if I'm wrong, Ashina, if you cook something, um, this, it, it, it goes, you change the nature of the food, right? And when you, when you cook it, it turns into, uh, what do you call it? Glycation. glycation. Yeah. 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 Glycation occurs anytime there's heat with glucose and protein found together. It's a chemical reaction that occurs both inside and outside our bodies. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, it's these things that start to, you know, uh, open your mind a bit, especially if you're new to this, on how commercial pet food products could actually be contributing to your dog's <clears throat> uh, poor health long-term. Yeah, you think about it in the way processed food is made, processed pet food, 
and you get those little brown balls we've talked about you know you've got sugar in there and you've got mm. proteins in there and then you heat it up guess what happens you get glycation so that's happening outside the body and it says when glycation occurs in food processing it's referred to the maillard reaction and the end result is maillard reaction products and yeah. there's a second type of mrps that occurs when dietary fats are heated with protein, which results in lipid peroxidation. So mm. that, those are called ALs, advanced lipid, advanced lipoxidation end products are ALs. So there's many chemical processes that we are not told about, that we are very unaware of, that happen in food processing. And then that also happen in the body if you eat those same things, because our bodies are warm. And if you eat sugar and protein, you're gonna have glycation happening on the inside. You heat it up during food processing, with fats and sugars and proteins and everything and you're getting a lot of chemical reactions going on that are contributing to aging faster yeah and this is acronym which they you know when they talk about um the ages and all that um and the glycation stuff it's rage r-a-g-e um so it's like yeah it's it's something that as a pet parent you will start to look at, you know, what are you feeding your animal? And <clears throat> have you ever considered, you know, how many times has your dog's food ingredient been cooked? Because the more cycles of cooking it goes through, the more AGEs, um, you know, the more glycation is, is, is um, generated or produced. And, and this is something that really is, um, a bad bad thing yeah Too they much. reference yeah they reference a, a 2018 study out of the netherlands that says um they had found dogs consume up to 122 times the ages in their diets as humans do and think about it if they're if they're if kibble is cooked up to at least four times during processing it's definitely going to replicate that age or that glycation process and when that's all they eat all the time, they don't, if your dog is not getting as much fresh food as you are, and they're only eating ultra processed food, then yeah, it definitely can support the um, idea that they're getting 122 times the AGEs and aging faster or having yeah. to that. Yeah. And you know, you know, we've been taught or brainwashed for the, I mean, the longest time that fat is a bad thing, you know, or... Uh, you know, the well, that fat the, makes you fat and it doesn't. Yeah. So there's good fat and bad fats, right? So, so the thing is you have to start actually understanding the difference and why is it good and why, you know, um, why is it bad kind of thing. And that <clears throat> good fats is actually needed for both humans and animals to actually be healthy and smart and alert, you know, um, I remember when I was growing up, um, you know, say like pork lard is bad. There's, you know, um, don't take butter, take margarine. <clears throat> and and the thing is, if you apply what you're reading here about the AGEs and how many times it's processed, then you think like, ooh, actually margarine is processed and it's not really good, you know. Uh, whereas natural fats, like proper, you know, organic or, you know, natural cow butter or you know, avocados, pop, coconut avocado. oil. Yeah, these are good fats and 
when you consume them, you're actually helping your body, which actually needs these fats to, you know, maintain their immune system, their organs, you know, the, the mental health, uh, your skin and everything. Um, very important. So this, this, this chapter sort of like really, you know, um, starts to break you into the science of aging, like as best as they can. So don't get put off. Just, you know, read it a few times. It's not so bad, really. Um, and one thing see. to know, too, um, if, if the reader's not aware, is that the kibble companies, the processed food, uh, pet food manufacturers, they're not required to test for those glycations or mm. the glyphosate or the toxins or the ages or the ales. There's no testing required. So you're kind of, I would adventure to say going blind about what, how much, how much uh, AGEs and glycations happen in that food because if they're not required to test for it, they're probably not going to and you'll never know. So it's yeah. just one more thing to be aware of why it's important to add fresh food to the diet to reduce that load going into the body. The whole point of, you know, feeding species appropriate and feeding fresh food is to get your dog to live longer, your cat to live longer, because when they consume all these ultra processed food with all these chemical reactions that are in them, that's causing, you know, cellular senescence and zombie cells to be floating around and your, um, your AMPK not functioning like it should, you know, all those things play all these factors and it's not to overwhelm, but it's just to help you understand what's going on so you can take the proper steps to uh, yeah. Yeah. help your body. Because, you know, a lot of pet parents, we think that the government agency will protect and look out for the welfare of our animals, especially when it comes to the products that we use on them. But honestly, um, it's not law. It's not required to test for these things. And there's, I would say there's a deep corruption going on with, with these, you know, um, big pet food companies and government agencies um, where I believe they know these things, but, you know, they, they don't want to talk about it. You know, they don't want to highlight these things. So it's really up to you as the pet parent to, to realize how your pet food is manufactured. Because once you understand how your pet food is manufactured, you might seriously want to start rethinking what you're feeding your animal you know, to improve its pet health. Because at the end of the day, bringing your dog to the vet is an expensive visit most times. I mean, like for me, I know in the US, they have insurance coverage for pet parents now. We have some in Singapore, but it's not, it's not really comprehensive, you know. Um, and again, you know, if, well, I don't know, call me conspiracy theorist, but uh, some of the policies where they actually advocate that they insist to qualify, you must have your annual vaccinations done to qualify for the insurance coverage. Uh, to me, it's like, oh, big no-no. <laughs> you know, for me, because now I know better, but I didn't before. So, you know, th these are things that, you know, when you start, like, really finding out how things are, are done and organized and, and um what regulations are actually, you know, being enforced and created, uh, yeah, you start to be a lot more aware of like, okay, um, you should take control of your dog's health. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'll, it'll save you a lot of frustration and, and 
heartache. energy in the long run and heartache. Yeah, the more you can do things ahead of the game and be proactive about their health. So yeah. well, most of us have been down that road. That's why we advocate. I always tell people, I'm like, I am trying to keep you from going through everything that I went through because it was not pleasant. And anybody who's been through it, they you, you make your mistakes, you learn from them, and you try to do better the next time with the knowledge you gain. And, mm-hmm. you know, we just want to help prevent that type of heartache or constantly being at the vet for, you know, the body not functioning properly. It's, it's a lot of time and energy and effort and, and heartache, and it can be frustrating and stressful when, you're, when your dog or your cat is not healthy. So anything we can do to implement, you know, easy practices and understanding how the body works a little bit better definitely yeah. saves you in the long run. Yeah, one thing here in this chapter is where they talk about <laughs> food recalls, pet food recalls. And I mean, there's a table and stuff that, you know, go, go and read it. But basically, you know, what's interesting is a lot of the stuff that was recalled, it's um, really a lot of them were basically processed, commercial processed food, you know, from the kibbles, the treats to the canned food. So you have to ask yourself as a pet parent, um, why, why is that, you know? And again, it really goes back to how were the food, how was your food prepared? How was your dog food prepared? Um, you know, one of the things that you know, I think all pet parents like is giving dog treats. You know, we, we love to give treats and stuff. And I remember my friend used to give me milk bones to give to dogs, right? Yeah, buy milk bones because it was like the, the thing, right? Um, but as I started to... Uh, improve my knowledge on how how pet food was made and how treats are made, uh, what ingredients are put in. Um, I sort of started to, you know, actually t- with some bit more convictions, like, no, no, no milk bones for me, thank you, not for my dog. And uh, do you know how they're made? Uh, if you don't, maybe you should, yeah, I'll send you some links, you know, yeah. to, 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 to find out uh, what, what do they actually put inside. Yeah, and we have it. There's some um, national chain pet stores that are here. I've I've been in before when I had my dog, and in like the registers have like a little built-in treat container. Either either there's a you know a box of treats sitting on the counter, or there's like there's like this little like hatch in the countertop to where you can see the um, milk bone style treats in there, and it's so the cashiers can offer a treat to your dog as you're at the checkout. And I remember getting asked, you know, this was years ago when I knew that they weren't the best thing. I didn't totally know what was in them. I wasn't reading labels at the time, but I knew something wasn't quite right. And I knew I didn't want that for my dog. So there can be instances where you're um, offered a processed treat without even knowing it. And it might just be, you know, one here or there. But the thing you got to realize, whether they're getting that treat at the counter at the pet store or even at the vet, I had to turn down... um, vet techs who would offer you know biscuit treats for my dog too and i'd be like no that's just not for me i don't i you know politely turned it down i didn't want that in the system for a what was in it b because he had a sensitive stomach you gotta watch out for you know different things your dogs get offered but there's a theory that it's oh it's just a little bit here it's just a little bit there but those things add up over time and that's what degrades the body so that's a lot of things people don't think about is, oh, it's just a little bit, it's just a little bit, it's just a little bit. But if they're eating all day long and then they're eating 
foods and treats that have these glycation processes that have happened in them that we're, we don't know about quite yet or unaware of. And then we wonder why our dog is, um, you know, aging faster or declining in health at an earlier yeah. age. We assume that just comes with age because that's what we're told. We're like, oh, well, you just get old. Yeah. It just happens. Yeah, well, It just or, happens because of everything that happened over the course yeah. of your life. Every little bit thing all yeah. added up to get you to the end result of them, you know, being in poor health by the time they're eight, nine, 10, 12. If you can get a long life out of them, then that's great. And some people do. They get really long lives, even with their dogs. I've seen lots of comments and stories from people that they're like, oh, I fed, you know, XYZ kibble for, you know, 18 years. My dog was fine. They could have had a very genetically predisposed healthy dog. It's the luck of the draw. You can get really good genetics. So that's why the story is different for everybody. You can have those long-lived dogs that live on processed food and be fine. They happen to be blessed with great genetics, you know, mm. and not every dog is that lucky. So that's the thing to understand too, is every dog is different and we got to treat each one. You know, you take care of the dog that's in front of you. You feed the dog that's in front of you and you try to do the best you can with the knowledge you have yeah one one thing about this chapter as well um it talks about how dog cakes or kibble was created um you know shana do you, do you wanna you wanna talk about james pratt briefly here just to give people an idea <laughs> i don't know if that's... i'm a fan of james pratt <laughs> <laughs> well he was an electrician right Oh, he sales was. guy. He was yeah. an electrician and a lightning rod salesman from Ohio. The whole reason we're in this boat is because yeah. of an electrician from yeah. 1860. <laughs> like, dogs ate real food for the longest time for thousands and thousands of years. But good old James Spratt came around. And I believe this story is told where he was on a boat or near a boat in England and he saw dogs eating the hardtack off the boats that the sailors had threw over and he was you know light bulb moment <laughs> went off for him he's like oh dogs love this so that's when he created the patented meat fibrine dog cake and that <laughs> is how kibble got its start and that's how where we ended up today yeah so I mean, like, I'm not, I don't think we'll go too much in it, but it's a good yarn and it's, a, it's really important, I think, for a lot of pet parents who don't know the story of how science diet came about, kibble and all that prescription diet. Um, you should read this because it actually will give you the history of how all this was created and the so-called first prescription vet um, pet food. And what's interesting is that... Um, you know, when they say it's vet endorsed, vet recommended, um, any vet can just say it and be paid to say it. It doesn't mean that it's, it's, it's the best thing in the world for your animal. It's got nothing to do with the quality of the food, the scientific, you know, results of the food, you know, like um, nothing to do with that. So, you know, it's like Colgate, the toothpaste, you know, when dentists started to promote, you know, like Colgate's the best. And that's how I got brainwashed into using Colgate when I was young, honestly. Yeah. You know, because you go the to the dentist, dentist and they're like, here's your toothpaste. They tell you on the commercials, three out of four dentists recommend it, you know, yep. but it's just an easy little marketing thing. And that's things we got to learn to look past, whether it be for toothpaste or 
you know, yeah. pet products. So this chapter actually will start to educate you on the marketing ploys and the tactics that companies started to use to sell these products that basically were not the best quality because a lot of these ingredients were honestly the cheapest ingredients that they could scrounge and put together because you know it's, it's considered waste products in the human industry to be used and sold as pet food ingredients. Right. So this is really um, that's why I say it gets a little bit heavy, um, you know, but I think it's a really important chapter where you actually start to get the basic foundation of how a lot of the big pet food companies were created. Because when you understand the history, you will see why, you know, why they're doing what they're doing today, because a lot of it is it's all basically profit. Yes. It is all for profit. Yeah, and there's even a graph in there that tells you who owns who and how much money they made. It talks about the annual revenue in 2019, and it'll it'll blow your mind when you read how many billions yep. and billions of dollars that they made off of all the companies that they own. And yep. even if they do have really great marketing or even if they do say vet recommended, it's always worth reading those ingredient labels and not just yep. trusting what's on the front of the bag. Yeah, when I when 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 Rodney and Dr. Becker started to you know advocate like start just read the ingredient list at the back of the can of the bag of food you know that you're buying and see how you feel and when I started doing that I started to get a headache because ninety nine percent of the words the ingredients I really didn't know what they were oh I thought I did but the more I read I realized that oh the terminology that they are allowed to use it's not equivalent to what it's what it means to us in the in the human fresh food industry that we are used to like you know what's organic might not even be organic what is you know grass fed grass finished i mean there's so many things that you as you learn more about these things your mind gets blown away each time i mean there's so many limiting beliefs that get blown away page by page line by line in this book um, as you read it, because um, you just realize how deep the rabbit hole when it comes to pet food industry, um, what they do to to produce, package, sell, market, you know, to you, you know, um, how ethical it is. It's a lot to yeah. take in. It's a lot to take in. So, you know, um, yeah, this is a really important chapter, really. Mm. Well, we've mentioned about epigenetic switches before in the past, like your, our DNA, you know, as you mentioned, like, you know, like um, your dog's DNA, um, the epigenetics, like what you do with the lifestyle environment and stuff is also part of how you can trigger, how you can, you know, either um, increase the age, the aging process of your dog or not, uh, you know, so DNA is important. You know, we all know DNA is important, we all think DNA is important, but there are ways to uh, improve your chances of a healthier lifespan. Even say, if you are genetically predisposed to certain um, diseases, there are ways that you can avoid it, you know, uh, and, and, and how, you know, you can change it, yeah. You know, prevent those switches from you know going up and down. You can actually do that. So, 
Yeah, it's it's completely up to us to make the decisions for our dogs and what they eat, what goes into their body. And we talked about this in the last episode, you know, the environmental changes, things that can harm their epigenetics. But food definitely plays the factor. What you're putting down in that bowl and what they're eating can decide in the body which genes it can kind of, um, what they call them, upregulate or downregulate. You know, and that goes with food that goes into, you know, a little bit of intermittent fasting plays with that a little bit of circadian rhythm plays in with that. There's several yes. factors, but yeah, sleep. Yeah. Sleep is so important. Exercise, how active you are. And one of the things that you, in this book, as you're reading it, right. And some of the studies or some of the dogs that they've talked about the healthiest, longest lived dogs will all I imagine is farm dogs, working dogs who my problem who only ate maybe once a day sometimes they didn't even eat for that day because they're just running you know in the farm yep, yep. getting that um, exercise getting that outdoor time getting you know sometimes they they're so active especially if you got like a um a herding dog you know a working mm. dog they can be so active that they you know don't even food doesn't cross your mind because the body's doing something else in that moment you know, for hours at a time, just like when you, you get busy at work or you're just working on a project and before you know it, like your whole day is gone. You're like, wait a minute. I totally forgot to, you know, eat lunch. You weren't even hungry because your brain was just going and doing what it needed to do. And it's yeah. the same for our dogs, especially when they're working dogs or herding dogs. You know, yeah. sometimes you might have that lab that likes to be a, um, or what's the term, like a, a couch pillow, you know, and <laughs> I think labs are like pretty much they they would eat all day every day if you let them. That's because isn't that because genetically they were bred in such a way that they don't have the gene to know when to stop. I think eating. I think that's why golden golden golden, golden retrievers and labradors the reason why they yeah. eat 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 nonstop is because they were genetically bred in such a way for the appearance right that genetically inside certain genes went missing and one of them was the the fact that they don't know when to stop yeah they don't know when yeah. to stop so that it's that's oh easier to train them if they're food motivated <laughs> yeah yeah but you know again it's like um yeah so there are ways to it's ways to improve and slow down the aging process so that you can actually age gracefully because you know we are always so obsessed with lifespan but we forget that you know now the term is you know make sure your lifespan equals your health span so as long as you live make sure you're healthy as long as you live whereas some people you know they, they want to live old but i don't see the point of living old if you're going to be unhealthy then i don't want that kind of life you know i, I want to be for me it's like i want to be healthy 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 and then boom <laughs> gone <laughs> Yeah, and 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 as you read this chapter and and read into the book, you'll notice things. You might hit those little those moments where you're like, oh, okay, you know, maybe you had a family member that degenerated, you know, maybe too soon in life. They they still lived longer, but they degenerated too soon um, yeah. because of their lifestyle choices or their food choices over the years. The same for us as humans, you know, where we can live longer if we make the right choices environmentally and food wise. We can yeah. do the same for our pets as well. So the idea is to not live, you know, to come down with any 
some things we we don't have a whole lot of control over, but we can do the best we can with the knowledge we have. And we don't want to be 60 years old and like, you know, live degeneratively for the rest of those, you know, say you live to 100. You know, you want to try your best with the access you have to different things or um, the environment you're in to be as healthy as possible. And we want those for our dogs and cats too. If I could go back and, and change a lot of things with my Bernese, I totally would have because we had some, we had things that happened that were complete accidents. I had no control over. He broke his leg when he was two and he was on drugs after that for, you know, several weeks till his uh, bones rehealed. We had some ACL injuries and knowing what I know now, I would have definitely treated those better because after the first accident happened, you know, we had some good times, but there was a lot of things I could have implemented that would have helped him be healthier until the universe said, okay, he's done now. Instead of living those last two, three years with torn ACLs and kidney disease and cancer rising up. It's a very frustrating process. So that's why I'm very, I like to advocate for people to avoid those things because it's not pleasant at all. So I would have preferred my dog to be, like you said, healthy, 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 and then no longer here, as opposed to living a life of pain, inflammation, and a degrading body. He did very well. He did his best, but you know, there's many dogs that go through that, that um, kind of degrade too soon. And we all wish we could go back and kind of change things a little bit to have them happier and a quality of life that is good until the end. Yeah. So, you know, as you read this chapter, you know, it, it, it will actually introduce to a lot of new concepts, especially if it's your first time. And, you know, um, you have to, to keep an open mind about these things because you know it it's it w- will run I think opposite to what you're brought up to believe, honestly, um, and I think if you keep an open mind and read this and bear in mind that all these were interviews, they interviewed a lot of researchers, scientists, you know, who are doing um, all these studies into longevity, so these these. Um, ideas are not woo stuff, you know, it's not plucked out of the air, out of, you know, there's a lot of scientific backing for what they're talking about in this book. So, like I said, whatever you read here, you can implement it in your life as well, you know, Um, and food for thought, literally, you know, like how, you know, like you want a healthy dog, you also have to be healthy as well. If you want to live as long as your dog to take care and enjoy life to the fullest with them, you know, and really, you know, the emotional, having a health, happy dog is also very, very important. If your dog is stressed or, you know, in a, in a very negative family environment, your dog's also going to be stressed out, you know. Um, so these these are things that you know uh you know like for me i i came from a dysfunctional family background because my parents so i was joking like sometimes i think like oh my parents should not have gotten married and should not have children honestly you know um but i thank them for doing it because you know i'm here now and 
I'm, we appreciate you're here. Yes, we do. I know, but it took me a while to appreciate myself too, you know, because I, I mean, like, seriously, like, I was screwed up for, for the longest time. Still work, I'm a work in progress. And one of the things that I, my takeaway from my parents' marriage was that I don't want to have children. I do not want to get married. I don't believe in it, you know, because I think, because I think it's too sacred and it's too easy to screw up because I'm so scared of screwing it up. Right. But that's that's just me in a psychological drama. But the, the thing is, you know, we always talk about um, if we have children, we don't want them to suffer the way we did. Most most of us would think that, like, oh, um, like if I had a, a wonderful childhood, I want my kids to have a wonderful childhood. too. But if I had a horrible childhood, most parents would, you know, healthy, healthy parents would say, like, I would love my child to have a wonderful childhood. Um, what I found for myself initially that because I have cats and dogs, right? When they misbehave, I will revert to, guess what? How my parents treat, like used to punish me when I was young or scold me when I was young. Like it's, it's like, you know, like something that is like so subconscious in me that even though I keep saying like I don't want to end up like my parents, some triggers, if I'm not conscious about it, I will end up being my parents, doing exactly what I hate. You know, like like the terrible temper that I have, you know, and, and just scolding them like, hey, stop growling, stop barking, you know. Um and this is this is something I think a lot of pet parents might can might be able to relate to. Um I think especially Asian pet parents because we are brought up in a, a lot more conservative uh, society. So we're used to being scolded a lot and, you know, being like caned and, you know, punished a lot. So to us, it's like, if you do something wrong, you're going to be punished. Or children should be seen and not heard, right? So when dogs bark, shut up! <laughs> you know? Um and it took me a, a while, and I'm still trying to, you know, learn dog behavior because I'm not good at it. But when a dog growls or barks, it's not a bad thing. It, it's their nature of communicating or saying something. And it's up to you to try and figure out what is it they're trying to tell you. Because when we adopt animals, like a dog or a cat, if we don't know what to expect or understand their behavior. You know, when they come to your home the first time as a pet parent and you're not prepared, they'll be like, they might pee here or, you know, shit there because they don't know how to, they're not indoor domesticated toilet tray. They don't know how to read the human language, like how to live in a, in a home for humans. Yeah. They have a lot to try to ascertain from our world i mean you gotta think about it. it's like having a little naked fuzzy alien in your house and they know how to operate their body for the most part you know innately function as a dog or a cat but you brought them into like what they would consider an alien home they're like what is this thing who's now like giving me food or giving me a you know a crate to sleep in it's a lot for them so we have to give them a lot more grace yeah for them coming into yeah. our world yeah and we really have to make an effort it to me i think like it's all pet parents responsibility to actually understand basic dog behavior 
or what to expect when they come into our home to be patient as they get used to living with us. You know, um, one of my friends, he told me the other day, like his dog grounded him. So he spanked him because he felt that the dog was challenging him. Wow. And, and I was like, your dog's only two years old. He's an only child. Like, I'm like, I said, oh, your dog, you know, I was like, might be trying to tell you something. I mean, like, what triggered the growling? I, I asked him, but he, he didn't answer me because he just, you know. But really, the question you should be asking yourself is, if your dog is making a growling noise, what's triggering it? What, you know, what's the situation? Because you have to understand why, why, why is it? And, you know, it's like learning a, a foreign language. You have to, there's intonations, there's, you know, different ways of, of growls as well. And, and like, this is, this is something that pet parents, dog parents should really make an effort to learn. Um, unfortunately, like I said, in Asia, if a dog growls, most of the time we will hit the dog to shut them up. You're disrespectful. Don't talk back, you know? Right, yeah. And it's like, you know, now that I know better, it's like, ooh, this is so fucked up. <laughs> this is so fucked up. We, we are damaging our dog psychology by doing that, you know? Um, so the, these are things that um, really, as a pet parent, if you understand what you're doing, uh, when you stress out the dog that way, the dog gets stress. Stress is a trigger for you know immune disease as well, and inflammation you know? as well. Because you get stressed yeah. and you release that cortisol, and you have that cortisol released just constantly every few yeah. hours, every day, every situation that comes up, they're constantly on guard. That's going to contribute to early aging as well. Yeah. So you know, even so-called dog behavior, if you don't understand it, and if you approach it the wrong way, unfortunately, even with the best intentions. But if you don't understand what you're doing, um, you might be contributing to your dog's ill health because you're going to stress your dog out a lot faster. Um, so we're coming to the part in the chapter where you know they talk about how old is my dog. This is this is this is something which um, I think a lot of dog parents we we like to talk about this. How old is my dog? And there is actually you know, the the common myth is that you know uh one dog year is equal to seven human years so you know they tell like oh if your dog is 10 10 years old you just times seven to get the the dog years or something right um so that was for i mean it's still very common belief but in this book there's a new formula that they talk about and and it's it's like okay this is very different from from you know a little bit more uh Requires a bit more effort. You, um, they do talk about using a scientific calculator here. So if you have one on your on your phone, it's uh, very useful. But the new formula here, which applies to older dogs older than one, says that a canine's human age roughly equals what the sixteen times ln dog's age, right? Plus thirty-one. Is that right, Shana? Did I say that right? Yes. So, if you have like your your smartphone calculator with you, uh, most of them. Well, I know the iPhone has it. I don't know about 
um, the Android phones, but if you activate your, your calculator on your smartphone, uh, if you have it in the portrait mode, it's the usual calculator that we're used to, but if you turn it on landscape, your scientific calculator will be activated. So they're talking about, um, so my dog, for instance, is 10 years old, so I'm going to put 10, and then, uh, wait, how, how is that again? Oh, I'm yeah. not very smart about it. 10. To work out your dog's human age, first enter yeah. the dog's age. Yeah, so that's 10, 10, right? And then yep. the LN press... button on your scientific calculator, which I'm doing now. Yep, and then you multiply that figure by, by 16. 16. Yep. And then finally, you add 31. Plus 31. See, I can't do this without Shana. So, my dog's age is 67.841. So, 67 coming close to 68 if you want to round it up. So, that's sort of like, ah, my baby. She's. So, yeah. And what type age. of dog is it? Is it like a medium-sized dog or large? Yeah, size? she she's a mongrel, so she's about um six six sixteen kilos, seventeen kilos. Okay, I don't know what's kilograms in your. I think it's times two. Ish. Okay. Yeah, maybe around thirty pounds. Yeah, she fluctuates. She used on a heavy. She used to be twenty, but I'm speaking low. <laughs> keeping her on a healthier diet now yeah um, so you're you're roughly like medium-sized dog is you've had her for 10 years mm, but 60 what do we say 64, seven, 67 yeah 67.8 yeah yeah, yeah. So yeah. imagine having a a, a a 10 year old human <laughs> in human years dog but actually like 67 year old in human years it's that's very mind-blowing as well you know we forget like we know that they age you know we we generally go by the multiply by seven gives us a rough estimate but uh, the new equation gets you a little bit more accurate but yeah mm. they're right close but uh yeah we're definitely you hit those senior years a lot sooner than you realize when you have those little fuzz yeah. balls yeah you know so this this is something you know um looking at her sleeping now but like yeah you know they age a lot faster than we would want to want them to and when we understand how the aging process is you know the science behind it um like this chapter is explaining we can slow down the aging process basically going back to how they were because if you hear about you know maggie who lived in her 30s i believe you know, mm. Augie, who lived in her 20s, mm. they didn't eat a whole lot of, you know, Maggie was a farm dog, and she fasted yeah. herself quite a bit, and she got, you know, exercise every single day. A lot of the longest-lived dogs that you hear stories about, they weren't gobbling down, you know, four cups of, you know, the highest, most popular brand of kibble every day. They were yeah. eating a lot more fresher food, and, you know, Golden Retrievers used to live closer to 20 years ago mind-blowing mind-blowing you know? yeah and processed food's only been around for 160 years so yeah. why you know correlation doesn't always equal causation but you got to think about it you know 
Well, then look at that and zoom out and kind of look at that timeline of when processed food was introduced. It's only been around for 160 years. Dogs used to live a lot longer years ago. And over these 160 years, we have shortened their life and shortened their life and shortened their life. We have some anomalies of people who have stuck with, you know, fresh food, even for the last 20 years. They're like, hey, you know, I think I'm going to go this fresh food route and see what benefit I get. And, and there's been a lot of great stories of some very long lived dogs and cats, you know? Yeah. I believe it was yeah. Jake Perry. We have had the longest lived cats and set the Guinness yeah. record for like two or three yeah. cats, I believe. Yeah. You know? sometimes you just you find those great stories of how they were able to do it and yeah. you know if we can add life to our dogs and cats by lessening the you know chemical reaction processed food and giving them more fresh food that is going to help their body that's going to slow down that cellular aging that's going to help their body you know do the autophagy you know calm yeah. down that mTOR you know clean house yep we can do our part we can do tiny little things to do our part to help their body do what yeah. it needs to do to live longer yeah so you know um when you improve the diet when you look at your feeding window like you know what time how long they they take to eat you know um through that window for the day their food calories um and exercise it makes a huge difference in improving their lifespan. You know, they, they become healthier. Um, again, sounds funny, but you can apply it to humans too. Exactly the same thing, you know. Um, so yeah, this this is this is a, a heavy chapter for new for newbies, I think. Um, but if you take your time to read it, and you might need to read it a few times, you know, to to really like um, understand the terminology used in here. Um, it's worth, it's a really good, I think, foundation that they're building up for you to understand, um, part two, three, you know, of, of this book, you know? So I think, yeah, this is, this is quite an intense chapter, but, um, it's really, really important, I think, because it, it blows your mind with a lot of things, um, to prepare your way. Definitely. Yeah. It's definitely some good reading material on that. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, anything else you want to add, Shana, before we close? No, this? I think we covered quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, have a good read. Um, and, you know, like I said, all these are scientific studies. They have all this, you know, they cite it. Um, when you go to the Forever Dog website, they will always update the studies as well. And again, you know, um, the book is printed on a certain date and time, um, but they will always be updating the studies on the website for these things. Okay, so next week will be part two, you know, and secrets from the world's oldest dogs um, and chapter four, which is a de-aging through diet. So we'll go into detail about that one next week again. So thank you, everyone. And um, yeah. Thank you, Shana, for holding my hand and helping me with the calculator. <laughs> Thank you, and you're welcome. <laughs> wow, I'm so thankful and grateful that you took the time to listen to this podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could subscribe, download, rate, review, and share this with others whom you care about that may enjoy it as well. 
Thank you, and remember to be kind to yourself and others. Have a awesome day, everyone.